How many have noticed a discrepancy? <laughs> I've been praying for the past few months specifically about spiritual renewal, revival. In fact, Alan led us this morning, revive us. Lord, what we need is revival. And though I had anticipated continuing in our passage in Matthew and talking about uh, Jesus teachings about divorce, God just turned me midweek. And uh, so I want to talk to you this morning about my least favorite spiritual discipline. <laughs> Fasting is not my favorite spiritual discipline. I'll pray. I'll get quiet. I'll read my Bible, I'll give, I'll do all the other spiritual disciplines with great joy. You have to drag me kicking and screaming into a fast. It's just the strangest thing. So the thing that I don't like the most, God would have me look at, and he has renewed my enthusiasm well, let me just say it this way. He's given me enthusiasm <laughs> for this particular spiritual discipline. So I want to talk to you this morning about that. But I also want to talk to you about some things on my heart. And I'm sure that your, your heart will resonate with these things. One of the passages I want to point out to you is in Daniel chapter 10. And as I was thinking through this and reviewing fasting and, and such, I was reminded of Daniel's words in chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. We studied through the book of Daniel a few years ago. And to me, it was a particular, just enriching time. Gained insight into God's plans and purposes uh, for this world and for his people. But I focus in on, there's a number of places where Daniel talks about spiritual disciplines and God's will and such. And, and in chapter 10, he talks about mourning for 21 days. The context is he's, he's mourning for the condition of Jerusalem. He's mourning for the condition of a remnant of the Jews who have returned to the promised land after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And God's restoring the nation. And they were to go back and they were to begin the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple and the reestablishment of their home. And they did just the opposite. They just took care of themselves. They were, they were only interested in what uh, their own lives were all about. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Matthew 24 when um, 
he's asked, what, what will it be like uh, when you return? He said, it'll be like the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, he said that uh, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, he, he says, people were just involved in their own everyday affairs. That was all it was all about. And he says, when I come back, people are going to be just involved in their own everyday affairs. This was the situation with Israel. They were just involved, uh, that, 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 that segment of the Jews who went back. And Ezra talks about them also. Nehemiah goes back and he's concerned with building the wall again. So there, there were a number of successive movements back from Babylon and from that captivity. But Daniel reports re, return back to him there in Babylon and, and he's in his 80s. And he's mourning over these things. In essence, he's mourning over the inattentiveness of God's people to him and to his will. You can't be a Christian today, really a Christian, and not be mourning over the condition of our country. I shake my head and mourn over the, the slaughter of millions and millions of babies since 1973, and it continues. And every excuse and rationale is given to do it. I mourn over the, the tremendous emphasis on sexual immorality in our country. In the, all the media, TV, movies. It's not even innuendo anymore. It's just blatant, blatant stuff. You just shake your head. I say, I, I say, God, how, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to put up with us? I mourn over the millions and millions of our brothers and sisters around the world who are undergoing severe trial and persecution. I mourn over the unforgiveness that exists in people's lives who are Christians. I've been here for 34 years. I can't tell you how many lives I've interacted with. I've stood at the top of those stairs for 34 years. I've welcomed literally thousands and thousands of people into this church every weekend. I have every single picture director we've ever published. And I pull them all out a couple times a year and I just thumb through them. I take a whole day and I just look through them. And I think, oh my gosh. Those who passed on, those who've moved on, those who've rebelled on. I have literally thousands of photographs of people in my office. And I marvel at all that God has done and all he continues to do. And yet at the same time, I still grieve and mourn for so many lives that I know so much about. And I have nobody to talk to but God about them. You see, I don't carry tales and I don't gossip. 
I may use you as a sermon illustration. <laughs> and, I, and God is, has been clarifying and clarifying and clarifying for me what he wants. And he wants to do a great and mighty work in his church. Far too many of us are just busy with our own lives. Our lives are hectic. You got work, you got school, you got sports, you got this, you got that. And before you know it, the, the, the day's gone, the week is gone, the month is gone, then the year is gone. You say, my gosh, where did the time go? So many of our youngsters are being educated in our school system and they're being indoctrinated into humanism and they don't even realize it and the parents don't even realize it. We, we simply trust the schools and trust our teachers and, and many teachers don't realize it, sadly. The whole next generation of youngsters growing up without values, growing up and, and I'm constantly encouraging parents because younger parents, newer parents, and, and certainly my son is one, and, and we're having a, a, just this bumper crop of babies. Grandma and grandpa, the newest grandma and grandpa right here. And, and, and there's sometimes a struggle, you know, because we've, we've always emphasized homeschool. Homeschool your kids, homeschool your kids. And, and a lot of people can't see them doing that. And it's not that everybody should be doing it. It's just, it should be a consideration. And so there's this back and forth struggle. Should I or should I not? And I had a conversation with the family a month or two ago about that. And I suggested to them, look, if you put your kids in public school because you, you don't know what, how to homeschool, or you're afraid of it or whatever the issue is, you have to follow your kids. You have to deconstruct the stuff they're learning in the schools, and you have to give them the Christian worldview. You've got to be with them continually. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving and, and mourning over the condition of our whole educational system and the effect it's having on the kids and the next generations. You think we have a rude and crude generation now. You just wait. These kids come to fruition. It's going to be just absolutely murderous, more so than you ever imagined. No values, no conscience, no God. We're the product of evolution. I mourn over this stuff. And so as I review all these things and I say, God, I'm, I'm praying, God, help us here, help us here, help us here. And I pray for renewal in the church. Making disciples, that's our assignment, right? Making disciples. And somehow it gets away from us. Somehow we, we, we get too busy to actually make a disciple. Or two, or three, or four. So, God has really convicted me. And I suspect that most everybody here this morning and most everybody all weekend that I'll be addressing would admit to, and I'm not even gonna ask for a show of hands, would admit to the need, the desire, 
for a closer walk with God. And when I say that, I'm not sure that most people today even understand what that means, a closer walk with him. A greater sense of empowerment. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power. And there's so many Christians today who are powerless. Dare I say, almost pathetic in terms of their lack of power. So many who are unwittingly still enslaved to Satan. They don't even know it. And they lack power. Power. I look at our prayer request sheet. And I, I, I pray through that. And I, every time I do, I think, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I pray for my wife. God help us. And I think there's, marriage is under attack. Marriage is under attack. Husbands and wives, quite frankly, just not getting along. They're not seeing eye to eye. And, and they're believers. And they, they bite each other. And they exhibit dissatisfaction with each other. And not in the kindest of ways. So all of that to say this. Daniel mourned for 21 days. So I am beginning on March 30th, which is also my birthday. <laughs> going to embark on a 21-day partial fast, a Daniel fast. Water, vegetables. Read chapter 1 of Daniel. Remember, he told the officials of Babylonian court, hey, we don't need all that fancy food from the king. Just, just give us vegetables, water, and we're going to be better than all the other people. So I figured if that was good enough for Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego, and I can do that. 21 days. That would mean that on Easter Sunday, I would break my fast. What a perfect time. Somebody said Friday night, when I, I'm trying to paint a picture, you know, of, of the, the wonder and the awe of breaking a fast on Easter Sunday morning, and then right over here, someone said, oh yeah, and the donut holes will be back. <laughs> so all that to say this, I, I want to I invite you. I want to invite you to Think about this, pray about this for the next week until the 30th. And uh, if, if, you, if you have a passion for the church, if you, if you desire to have a more intimate walk with Jesus and maybe have him speak to you and reveal things to you that maybe you're clueless about or you didn't even, you want him to talk to you. Or maybe you'd like to just have him empower your life 
for living, empower your life so that you would, you would have a, a, the, the, the courage to witness and share. Empower your life for ministry. Maybe, maybe all of a sudden you begin to see how you're gifted spiritually and you begin to function in your gifting in the life of the church and a whole new world opens up to you. So I want to, I want to invite you to join me. 21 days. Be exciting. Be absolutely exciting. I don't know how many of you have been on our, our, our website and viewed the video that uh, Alan posted. He posted a video from back in 1989. And we had just come off a 14-day fast. And that wasn't a partial fast. That was a, that was a full-on fast. He posted that video, and, and uh, the emphasis in that video, or, or I said the emphasis of that fast, was we were praying about getting luckies. And God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we can possibly think and imagine. Paul says that in Ephesians. Not only did we get luckies, we got the Shorewood building. <laughs> we got the building next door to us. We got the building next door to that. We were the largest, we ended up being the largest landowners, property owners, we were over five acres in Hermosa, in the South Bay. You know how expensive real estate is in the South Bay? And God dropped every one of these pieces of property in our laps. Now, I'm telling you, I'm saying that as a result of our humbling ourselves before God for 14 days, for the next 20 years, God has opened door after door after door. We are the largest landowner in the city of Hermosa. We are absolutely debt-free. We don't owe a penny on anything. And that video reminded me, there was a, the, the, the worship service is, the video is of the worship service, and, uh, and, and, and the congregation is just buzzing. It was powerful. And we were worshiping God. I'd forgotten that. But in the, in the ensuing weeks, I've been thinking and, 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 and reviewing in my own mind and saying, you know what, God, you, you honored that and you have kept honoring our humbling ourselves. You have preserved us through trial after trial after trial. You are faithful. And so I felt all of that led to this burden on my heart to once again to enjoin a fast. And so again, I say I want to invite you to join me. And with that in mind, probably some of you are not really wise unto fasting. And so I want to share some things about fasting with you this morning a little bit. And then uh, hopefully it'll be a source of some help. Okay? So... Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Zechariah chapter 7. 
And I want you to take note as we walk through this, this material and you, and you follow along in your notes, just take note of the association of certain things, one particular thing with respect to fasting. You know, uh, years ago, there was a, uh, a football coach in the NFL. Uh, his name was Vince Lombardi. Guys probably remember him, right? Ladies, you care less. <laughs> he took over a franchise in Green Bay, Green Bay Packers, and they were absolutely pathetic. They were just the worst. They hired Vince Lombardi to be their new coach. And Vince was convinced that he had to go back to the basics and start with the very basics and reschool, retrain, retool the team. And so the first day of practice, he stood before the team and he held up a football. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> As if to accentuate the need to understand the basics. And so I want to walk you through some of the basics this morning of fasting. To fast simply is to abstain for a limited period of time from any kind of food. It could be solid or liquid food. Doesn't include water. We're not going to do an absolute fast. It can include denying oneself certain comforts and pleasures, but primarily it's food. In addition to this 21-day fast of largely water and vegetables, I want to ask also that we would fast from all media. I mentioned it last week, talked about doing a six-month fast. But I'm just talking about 21 days. Don't watch TV, don't listen to the radio, uh, don't go to the movies, um, uh, don't go on your Facebook thing, don't twick tweaks and twitch and twits and all that stuff. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. So you, you voluntarily deny. You voluntarily deny yourself of what are, what are typically normal functions, especially with respect to eating. But you do so for the sake of intense spiritual activity, spiritual activity. We've got to make time now. We've got to be deliberate in making time for prayer, making time for our Bible reading and Bible study and Bible memory work. We've got to make time for reading other materials. I, I'm hoping to put together a list of, just a, a short reading list so, uh, we have some other things, spiritually edifying things to read in addition as you read your word. Additional time for fellowship. Just getting together, just getting together. Taking a walk, praying together. Fasting is an act simply of self-discipline for spiritual purposes. Let me remind you of what fasting is not. It's not a spiritual hunger strike. We're not, you know, hunkering down saying, God, we're not gonna eat until you do something. It's not a manipulative device. We are really good at manipulating, are we not? Even when we don't realize we're manipulating, we manipulate. 
It's part of our fallen condition. It's not a form of dieting, although some of us will benefit in that arena also. But the question is, why should I fast? What, what am I going to get out of it? See, that's a, that's a bottom line. What am I going to get out of it? Why should I do this? Well, let me suggest this. The best fast is the one that has no ulterior motive. This is where you, you find the prophet Zechariah speaking. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, said Zechariah. And God says to him, ask all the people of the land and the priests. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years. Now that 70 year span was when they were in captivity in Babylon. This is Judah. And they fasted and mourned every fifth and seventh month. And God says to them, when you did this, was it really for me that you fasted? That's the telling statement. What's my motive for fasting? My motive for fasting ought to be unto him. God, I'm fasting because I want to be closer to you. God, I'm fasting because I want to hear you talk. God, I'm fasting because I want to know your will. I'm denying myself and I'm taking this time so I can be closer to you because you are the most important person in my life. Joel puts it this way in Joel chapter two, even now declares the Lord, return to me. This is always the call, always to God's people, return to me. Return to me. Remember when God told the Israelites, as you, when you're going to take the promised land and you're, you're eating from vineyards and drinking from vineyards and living in houses you didn't build and drinking water from wells you didn't dig and so forth and the land flowing with milk and honey, don't forget me. When things are going well and easy for us, we kind of relegate him to the background. So here Joel, Joel says, return to me. Return to me with all your heart. Is this unreasonable of God, do you think? Is he asking too much? What do you think? No, I don't think so. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. How do we know that we're returning with all of our heart? Because we're returning with fasting and weeping and mourning. We grieve. Our heart is broken for our own relationship with him. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, no, I have a good relationship with God. It could be better. It could be better. It could be more intimate. In Acts chapter 13, this is the account of the early church. Now, the church started in Jerusalem, and then when the gospel went to the Gentiles, the center of the Gentile church was up in Antioch. So you had two places in Jerusalem and Antioch. And up in Antioch, we're told Luke records in, in the book of Acts, he says, while they were worshiping, worshiping the Lord and fasting. They're just simply worshiping and fasting was a part of their worship. It was an expression of self-denial. Lord, we are worshiping you and it's all about you, it's not about us. And it was in the midst of that 
that God spoke to the, to the leaders there at Antioch. And they said, he said, set apart for me two people. Remember who the two people were? Barnabas and Saul. So there you have the commissioning of the greatest missionary in the history of the church and Barnabas. But it happens in the context of what? Worship. Worship. They're not, they're not even thinking about this. And God moves. Again, back in Joel, chapter 1, verse 14, God again says to the prophet Joel, declare a holy fast. Declare it. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Weeping. Mourning, cry out to the Lord. We have stuff in our life that we cannot, we cannot make a breakthrough over. All of us have issues. If you don't, you will, I promise you. Where you need God, you need God's strength, you need God's power to bring a breakthrough. But it comes as an effect it comes as an effect of worship and, and seeking him and returning to him and fasting. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves. Why humble ourselves? Because God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud there in a single one of us, if we're thoughtful at all, doesn't have a measure of pride that we've got to constantly keep at bay. It's just, it's just with us all the time. It's about self-preservation. It's about being defensive. It's about making excuses and rationales. It's simply our pride. Our need to say something. Oh, I'm going to Tell them what I think. You don't need to. Go into your prayer closet. Cry out to your father who sees in secret. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And later on in that passage, he says, and God, at the appointed time, he will lift you up. He will strengthen you. He will perfect you. He will establish you. Oh, wow. What's my part? Humble myself deliberately, deliberately humble myself. And so therefore I submit to you that fasting is an external, external, physical expression of an internal attitude of what? Humility. Now we're talking about the difference between, in our, in our study through the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about the difference between external and internal, aren't we? And Jesus is what? He's condemning the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because it's merely what kind of righteousness? It's only external. And he keeps pointing the people back. He says, you've heard it said. You heard that it was said. You heard it. And he'll say it four more times in these passages. But I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
He's talking about an internal righteousness, a righteousness that they cannot attain to, that when they try to do it, they try to do it and they fail and they fail, it drives them to him. God, I can't do this. I can't control my mind and my thinking. I can't control my lusting. I can't control my anger and my resentment, my bitterness towards people. It gives me pleasure to say raka to them, to call them a fool. God, I know that's not pleasing to you. And that's, I can't control myself. Help me. Help me. That's when you, you come to him. In the Old Testament, the idea of afflicting oneself. Afflicting oneself was a, was a demonstration of, of humbling oneself. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, speaks of fasting as one way of humbling or denying oneself. It really is. It's a denial, isn't it? Uh, this fast is going to interrupt my American Idol viewing. Deny myself. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3 equates fasting with humbling. Psalm 35, verse 13, David says, I humbled myself with fasting. See, if a person doesn't know how to humble themselves, the mechanism is to enjoin a fast and learn to deny yourself, and in so doing, you're humbling yourself. Fasting was, expressed, was, was practiced in Israel not only as an expression of a humble soul, but also of a dependent soul. Should we be dependent on him? Yeah, we are utterly, absolutely. Some examples of that is Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Most of you remember that. And he enjoined what's called an absolute fast. No water, no food for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a supernatural fast. You cannot do that, except that God enable you. But in so doing, he was preparing himself for conversation with God. He was really denying himself. He was, he was expressing an utter dependence on him. Did God speak to Moses up on the mountain? Big time. Again, I, I, I call your attention to Daniel chapter 3. Chapter 9, I'm sorry. And Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So right at the beginning of the chapter, he's, he's humbling himself before God. You get down in around verse 20 to 23, and now all of a sudden God speaks to him and reveals to him the future in the 70 weeks. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, here's David who's oppressed. He's oppressed in his soul. The son that he had with Bathsheba has died. And he wept and he fasted for seven days. Who knows, God may restore him to me, was David's remark. 
Again, Daniel chapter 10. At that time, Daniel says, I mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. That's a partial fast. That's the kind of fast that, that I'm asking you to join me in. When there was danger of war and destruction, the people fasted. There's an interesting account in the book of Judges in chapter 20. The Israelites are, are warring against their brothers, the, the little tiny tribe of Benjamin. All Israel is fighting against Benjamin. And Benjamin just whips their behind. Beats them up bad. So Israel goes back and, and they, they tail between their legs and they cry out to God with fasting. And they say, God, should we go back and should we fight them again? And God said, yes, you go back and I'm going to give them into your hands this time. They humble themselves. They express dependence on God. And God gave them victory. What they did with fasting. You recall the book of Esther. Here's Esther, uh, a Jew, and she is queen of all of Persia. It was against the law, even for the queen, to enter the court of the king and to even speak to him in public. She couldn't even speak to him in private. She could never initiate. And she's the queen. It was against the law, and she could be killed for it. So we read in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, Esther says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. That was the capital of Persia. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Now, the occasion for this was the Jews were under attack. They were, they were, they were facing imminent annihilation by Haman. Most of you know the account. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, when the fast is over, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She's expressing utter dependence on God. This is a sure death sentence for her. But we know that God honored that, didn't he? And he saved the Jews. In Ezra chapter 8, we see Ezra expressing dependence upon God. I have to read this to you. This is absolutely marvelous. Ezra is praying for success for the exiles to go back to the promised land. In verse 21, chapter 8, There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God. Do you see that? Do you see the connection between a fast and humbling? Again, it's just again and again and again. So we may humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king the good hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against those who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Isn't that marvelous? So he didn't dare go to ask the king for soldiers and guards and help to take them back to the land because they'd bragged on God. Now, how's it look to God? How's it look to the king? If, well, I thought your God was going to protect you. Oh, no, we can't say anything now. We're, 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 we're stuck with God. 
we best fast. <laughs> and God answered their prayer. Isn't that marvelous? Now, in the course of time, the deeper meaning of fasting as an expression of humility, as an expression of dependence, as an expression of devotion to God, over the course of time, this was lost. And fasting degenerated simply to a pious ritual. And the prophets would speak out against this to the nation of Israel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others. Isaiah chapter 58, you should read it. Isaiah is the classic passage on, on fasting. God doesn't invalidate fasting in general. He invalidates the way that the Jews were going about it. In verse 3 of the 58th chapter of Isaiah, let me just read to you from the start. Here's God. He says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. I think that's an indictment. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Then in verse three, he rehearses their, their question back to him. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And God responds, he says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. God's answer to them was, why have we fasted? Why have, we, why have you not heard us? And God responds, and he says, simply, it's because when you fast, it doesn't affect anything in your life. There's no change. There's no change in the way you behave yourself. There's no change in your relationships. You're not involved in prayer. All you're doing is not eating. That's it. That's not the kind of fast that God honors. Not only that, but you go about life in its usual course, including your strife with others. Your fast is not a time of genuine repentance. It's not a time of change of attitude. Your fast doesn't amount to anything. That's why nothing happens. God says, if you want to get through to me, don't go about it the way you have been. You need to fast and have it genuine. Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah chapter 14. Although they fast, God says, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with sword, famine, plague. Man, it is an awesome thing, a fearsome thing to draw near to the Lord. Would you agree? You, we draw near to the Lord. You just do not do it in a casual manner. You say, God, I'm here. I'm on my face. You're king. You're awesome. You're almighty God. I'm here humbling myself before you, expressing my need for you and my devotion to you. Otherwise, he scatters us. 
Jesus dealt with the same attitude uh, when the people of his day in chapter six of Matthew's gospel. He says, I love this. Notice what he says. Now, if you fast, does he say that? No, he says what? When you fast. His presupposition is that people are going to fast. Now, when you fast, here's what you do. He says, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. Hey, how about you go to lunch with me? Oh, I'm, I'm fasting today. Stop it! <laughs> Don't disfigure your faces. He says, uh, tell you the truth, you received your reward in full, if that's the case, but when you fast, put oil on your head. In other words, shine. Make your face shine. Wash your face. So that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Because that's all it matters to, isn't it true? It's, this is you and Him. You and Him. Matters to nobody else. And your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Just the very opposite of what God tells the people of Israel through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through Zechariah. So fasting is a time for a number of things. It's a time for personal humbling and repentance. Again, I remind you of David's words, Psalm 35, I humbled myself with fasting. It's a time for spiritual renewal and spiritual recommitment. Again, God calls the people through Isaiah. Fasting ought to lead to a changed life, to renewal, spiritual breakthroughs, and surrender to God's service, not self-service. Fasting is not just external, but it is something internal. As an internal discipline, it also serves, this is very, very important, it serves as a prompt to abstinence in other areas of our life, other areas that may be out of control. It serves as a prompt to abstinence. It serves to discipline the flesh. And I think you'll agree we all need our flesh to come under discipline, our fleshly appetites. It will also serve to ignite a desire for prayer. Your prayer life will take on a whole new character. And lastly, it's an exercise that will testify to genuine repentance. God, I am sorry, I am sorry, I am sorry, I repent, I repent, I repent. You get on a whole list of stuff, stuff you never even thought of repenting of, God, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind because why? You're growing closer to Him. The closer you get to Him, you begin to hear the Spirit like you've never heard the Spirit before speaking to you about areas of your life. Fasting is also the time for learning to understand God's will. You'll read your Bible like you never have. You'll open it up and God will reveal things to you, show you things you've never seen before. Exciting things, thrill your heart. It's like Daniel when he did his 21 day partial fast and God began to reveal to him all manner of things. Just read the ninth chapter of Daniel, you'll see what I'm talking about. And fasting also is a time for expressing wholehearted devotion to the Lord. It's just simply that. 
Through the prophet Joel, we read this, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. You know, the ancients were, were, were in practice of tearing their garments, rending their garments. Remember the high priest at Jesus' mock trial, you know, when Jesus blasphemed and made himself one with God and the high priest rended, tore his garments. So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And I love this part. Who knows? He may turn and have pity. Wow. Isn't that marvelous? So a fast is a means to an end. The question is, what's the end? Simply to bring us closer to God, to know him better to know his purpose better, not to get God to do what we want. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting ought to change us. And it can help us keep a balance in our life. So many times our lives get out of balance and we don't know how to get back into balance, if you will, if I can use that phrase. The Corinthians had an expression, and, and, and this was rampant throughout Corinth. It's, we have a similar expression. I want what I want when I want it. It's my life, I can do with it as I please, right? We have expressions like that. The Corinthians had an expression similar to that. Everything is permissible for me. To which Paul responded to that, that way of thinking. He says, yes, but not everything is beneficial. The retort again comes, well, everything is permissible for me. But Paul again says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Wow. Balance in a person's life. When I fast, my body doesn't tell me when to eat. I tell my body when to eat. I'm used to having my body go, oh, feed me, feed me, feed me. But when I fast, I say, nope. But I'm hungry. Shut up. I don't care that you're hungry. I'm giving you the day off. Fasting also helps reveal what really controls us. You ever been under stress? Anybody ever been under stress? And stuff comes out of you that you just go, that was not good. That wasn't my best moment. If you want to know what controls a guy, take him golfing. <laughs> Pride, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, stuff comes up, man. When you are stressed, that stuff that you think you got under control, maybe you think is not really there, that stuff begins to surface, you know? You go, what's the matter with you? I'm fasting. Whoa. Fasting is going to reveal what really controls you. Get prepared for it, I promise you. And lastly, here's some things to remember. Motives. Motives. I don't fast to be noticed. I'm not trying to impress anybody except my Heavenly Father. My spiritual objectives in this fast, simply to draw closer to Him. 
And as I draw closer to him, I, I, I fully expect that he's going to be doing things in me and changing me. And he's going to be working in me, showing me who to intercede for. I'll be able to better address special burdens, people in my life. I'll gain greater insight and wisdom, a greater fullness of his spirit, renewal. So all around, it, it all comes as a, as a result of simply humbling myself and drawing close to him. And as I do that, he works in me and does things that I could never, ever accomplish. My objectives are not to be self-centered. My desire for personal blessing must be balanced by genuine concern for others. The Apostle Paul says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The challenge is not to make it just about me. God, your will. And lastly, am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? Am I determined to minister to the Lord in this fast? I can look to all the other benefits of fasting, but if they become my primary goal, I've just failed. I've just failed. My goal is to draw close to him. My goal is to minister unto him. My goal is to praise him. My goal is to be, just be with him. We're designed and we're made for relationship, are we not? And there's nothing better when you're in a relationship with somebody special to just be with that person. Just be with them. My wife and I love spending time together. We don't, we don't always have to talk. Just, just being in the same room, being in the same house, being, just being with each other. There's something about that that's special. So I, I, again, I want to underscore how I think, we're, I think we are at a crucial point in the life of our church. I think God, and, and I've gotten feedback from other people, and, 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 and this, this stuff is resonating with them. And God has been speaking to them independently. And there's a sense in their own life, a, a need for renewal, and, and, and that God... God is doing something, and he's on the verge of doing something. And it's not that we're earning something from him. He wants us to participate with him. He wants us to be intimate with him as he does what he's going to do so we don't miss it. So we go, <gasps> so we have testimonies like Mark's, and, and testimonies abounding in the church. People being spontaneously released from demonic possession. You say, you, you think a Christian can be possessed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, people give themselves over all the time and without even realizing it. Remember, he's an angel of light. Miracles happening. Power. 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 Open doors that we could never open. Again, I, I, I remind you of what I, my early remarks about way back in 1989, how the entire congregation humbled. And you got to see that video because 
I mean, you, you, you look and, and the buzz, the buzz that was going on in that congregation was spectacular. And God moved mightily and opened doors that we could never open on our own. And quite simply, just because we were willing to humble ourselves, humble ourselves. The Christian life ought to be exciting, would you agree? I mean, it ought to be exciting. We ought to come in here and we ought to be, we ought to be singing and praising and, I mean, seeing radical Alan up here. <laughs> you know, he's a superstar in Africa. Do you know that? They love it when he goes back to Africa and he's, he's, he's different. I want to see him released, inspiring us to worship. Join me in the fast. Father, help us, Lord, to catch a vision for what you want. Lord, have your way in us. Have your way in us. We say we love you. And Lord, the best we can, we mean it. And so many of us are, are living our lives the best way we know how, but Lord, we, there's something in us that senses there's still yet something missing that could be greater, more powerful, more intense. Lord, we look to you. We, we, we humble ourselves before you. We look forward to Easter, Lord, not only just to celebrate and to remember, but realizing what you have done in ways maybe we never have before. We submit ourselves to you, O oh God. We pray again, have your way in our life. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, pronounce a blessing on your neighbor in the name of Jesus, if you would. And if it's appropriate, only if it's appropriate, give your neighbor a holy hug and very possibly even a holy kiss. Let's stand together and sing God's praises one more time before we dismiss.